Hi everybody, Michael Davis here. Welcome to Bone to Pick. We are coming to you today from the office of Hip Bone Music here in New City, New York. And I am very honored today to be sitting down with one of the greatest trumpet players of the last half a century, the great Mark Gould. Mark was the principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra from 1974 to 2003. He has been on the faculty of the Juilliard School since 1982 and the Manhattan School of Music since 2004. He is an internationally renowned trumpet teacher. Uh, his students have placed positions in the Boston Symphony, the Cleveland Orchestra, Philadelphia Orchestra, San Francisco Symphony, Seattle Symphony, Dallas Symphony, as well as the Canadian Brass and Empire Brass, a couple that really jump out at you, the great David Bilger of the Philadelphia Orchestra, and a tremendous talent here in New York, C.J. Camareri, and we'll talk more about them in a little bit. Uh, he is active worldwide as a soloist and conductor. Uh, he is a prolific artist in the world of uh, chamber music, the director of the New York Trumpet Ensemble. He's a featured guest with Canadian Brass, Empire Brass, Summit Brass, the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. He has participated in 40 live from Lincoln Center performances on PBS under the direction of James Levine. And perhaps most impressive is his, uh, what I might call your alter ego, the Pink Baby Monster videos that uh, we will discuss at great length. He's through those, he's become a political activist, uh, the voice of the everyman. I came up with a thing I think you might like. Uh, voice of the the, the, like. the, uh -huh. the advocate for the minimization of bullshit. Okay, perhaps thank you. That's that might, I, uh, like that. The, I like that. I like that. Also known as uh, AMBS in thank the trade, you. I think. AMBS. Yes. At any rate, uh, and I'm also honored that you were uh, kind enough to play on my Brass Nation CD about 15 years That's ago. Right. And uh, sounded amazing as you do on everything you did. Anyway, without further ado, uh, Mark, thank you for being here today on uh, Bone to Pick and uh, spending some time talking about your extraordinary life. Well, let's jump in and talk about your formative years. I know you grew up not too far from here in Mount Vernon, New York, and uh, talk about how you, how you got to the trumpet. Um, I wanted to play the trombone, but they didn't give me an instrument at school. So uh, my mother rented a trumpet because one of my friends played trumpet, so I played trumpet. That's how I started the trumpet. Hmm. I'm a failed trombone player. That's unusual. <laughs> I think it's uh, synonymous, failing trombone right now. I well, know. I mean, yeah. I did write a piece um, called Elixirs, where the main character is demoted in the trumpet section from first, second to third, and then principal trombone. <laughs> so I took my revenge. You know. That's kind of the way we look yes, at it. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, we, of all, course. we all want to be trombone there players. There you go. <laughs> Well, you went to uh, Boston University, but I understand right. not as a music major. What what uh, did you study there, and how did that work out? Well, I, I didn't really study much of anything, but I did get through school, and I graduated with a degree in sociology, oh, okay. which is probably as useless as a music degree. So I played in the orchestra for one semester. I auditioned for the orchestra. They didn't know I wasn't in the music school, so I got in the orchestra. And it really infuriated the rest of the trumpet studio there who was mm. not picked to be in the orchestra. But it wasn't going fast enough for me, mm -hmm. so I quit. It was not that interesting because we would rehearse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I still, you know, maintain an aversion to rehearsal to this very day. Yeah. Unless I'm conducting, then it's fun. Yeah. 
Preparation is overrated. I, yeah, saying, I mean, right? you don't want to peak too soon. That's no, always my no, motto. It's, yeah, it's yeah, stale. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I can understand that. Um, after Boston, you went. Did you come back to New York then? Is uh, yes, I hung around Boston for a year or so, playing in various bands, blues bands, jazz bands, the house bands at a place called the Sugar Shack. They did Motown acts. Mm -hmm. I did that. Then I moved to New York um, to you know try to become a trumpet player. And then uh, my old friend from the old days, Gerard Schwartz, who's now the con you know, conductor, very well-known conductor, he was playing the trumpet at this time, and he was very helpful to me. And um, I came to New York sort of as a mediocre jazz trumpet player. Hmm. So I said, well, maybe I'll, since I trained actually early in my life going to Interlochen, I was a good trumpet player as a kid. So I started playing classical music and freelancing around town. So. And still playing some jazz, some Latin gigs. You know, this is back in the early 70s. And then I sort of retired and got into the Metropolitan Opera's first trumpet. And the year before, I had auditioned for the Horace Silver Band with Mike Lawrence. Do you remember Mike? Sure, Lawrence? of course. And Mike Lawrence, you know, got the gig. Wow. I wasn't close. I should say I was close. You have to be the it only one. It was nip and tuck, me and Mike <laughs> Lawrence. And yeah, I would, I'm going to go out on a limb here. You have to be the only person who had uh, consecutive auditions with Horace Silver and the Met. I think that's, probably I think, right? ever. Yes. yes. And certainly that's, uh, that's going to stand the test of time now that Horace is no longer He's with no us. no longer with us. That's yeah. right. Well, let's talk about the Met. That's certainly, uh, okay. you're, you're so well known for that. Um, maybe you could talk about how the audition process, what it was like getting the job, and, and maybe, if you don't mind, just you were in the orchestra for 29 years. What, what what, how, did the, how did it change and, you know, the ebb and flow of that over that period of time? Well, for me, um, I was playing, at the time, I was playing first trumpet in the Springfield Mass Symphony. You know, I auditioned for that job. You know, auditions then were a little bit different than they are now. They needed someone to play the Brandenburg Concerto in Springfield. They couldn't find anybody. I got the gig. So I played there. Then I auditioned for the Metropolitan Opera. Um, I guess it went over three days, three different days. <clears throat> and um, Mel Broyles was the first trumpet. And there used to be another first trumpet, Isidore Blank, Izzy Blank. And um, he was like an old Jewish man in rumple clothes, played beautifully. You know, he was the opposite of Mel Broyles. So Mel Broyles, who was like um, descended from Attila the Hun, <laughs> played trumpet for Attila the Hun, they wanted something that was the exact opposite of Mel Broyles. Mm. Someone who did something else. And I guess that it turned out to be me that particular day. Mm -hmm. So I won the audition. And um, the adventure began. Didn't know anything about opera. Nothing. I mean, I'm not... What do you know about opera? Nothing. I, that's what Nothing. I thought. Yeah. You were bone I kill. Yeah. This is, I don't know. It could be an opera. Bone kill. Bone kill. I'm could thinking be. of turning into I think opera, it should but, uh, be. but I don't know anything about opera. So. But I, I went there, and it was uh, quite an adventure. My first year, I didn't play a note in preseason. There's a three-week rehearsal period. And in this particular, my first year, they did standard repertoire. But Mel Broyles was not getting off that chair. <laughs> he was going to show me how it went when I really needed to play through these tunes. Someone, you can't really go in and sight-read operas, especially with people who know operas. It's rather impossible. But that was my, that was my gig for the first year. Uh, Mel Broyles, um, he was my co-principal, mm -hmm. which was just, I guess, really a name only. He was really the first trumpet. 
And I was like the, the trumpet in the case carrier in my first year at the Met. <laughs> he spoke to me one word. We were doing a rehearsal together of Vespri Siciliani, Verdi. And I was taking a piss, and I'm at the urinal, and he came up to me by the urinal. We're both pissing, you know, with our future in our hand. And he said, Mark, men die in battle to the sound of the trumpet. And I'm looking at the tiles with my dick in my hands, wondering what the fuck that meant. So, you know, extraordinary. That was the only sentence he spoke to me the first year mm. when I was there. It took about three years for me to figure out exactly what was going on there. I mean, it was quite a um, different situation there than it is now. Now it mm -hmm. runs like a bank. It's very corporate. Mm -hmm. uh, there were maybe four women in the orchestra then. Now it's more than half women. Mm. I shouldn't say anything bad about that, but as you know, women, they're in orchestras, they cry. You know, men just <laughs> tell each other to go fuck themselves, and it's the end, but women cry. We're not going to get into that. The orchestra sounds great, sounds better than ever. Yeah, yeah. We won't get into that, you know. Okay. You could get yeah, arrested, yeah. fired, whatever. You could get arrested, you know, bone killed, bone kill. Yeah, kill. I'm done. I'm yeah. anticipating that I happening at some point. Um, yeah. Um, well, actually... That's a great Mel Broster. You got any a uh, couple more for us? I know he's uh, so are, legendary. There are infinite. I mean, what I should do is, while I'm still alive, is compile a book of people who knew him, mm -hmm. stories of Mel Broyles. <laughs> Mel Broyles, um, one of the great trumpet players ever. And there are certain repertoire that he played, I think no one could actually come close to mm. equaling this. All the Strauss operas. Never heard anything like this it would like raise you out of your chair. It was so exciting. You know, he was a big man, well over six feet tall, probably 230 pounds. Mm. And he would play some fortes until his body shook <laughs> so much for efficiency. You know, like this is old school. Right. You know, like the old trumpet players, I don't know about the trombone players, you know, they play, they were trying to knock out a wall, Conrad Gazzo's. I mean, they still sure. exist, yeah. the Maynard Ferguson. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. But uh, well, I'll give you a story. I mean, I was, we were sitting, this is my first year, I'm sitting in the orchestra watching the rehearsal. They're rehearsing Pagliacci, Leon Cavallo. At the end of Pagliacci, the trumpet plays a tune. And he, we played the tune and it's out. The, the, after they kill, you know, the murder, all the shit goes down. Trumpet plays it too. So in the orchestra room, he was going to show me how really this goes. Uh -huh. He started to play the entire viola section involuntarily went down. You know, they <laughs> ducked down. He knocked them down. The conductor, John Nelson, was knocked off the part of him. He took a step back. The paint started to peel on the walls. It was like the most extraordinary thing you've ever heard. I mean, it's like one of those moments... It's like when Phil Myers plays a loud note. I right, mean, he could right. take out a brass section on a horn. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. And the conductor said, well, Mel, down here, you know, maybe just mezzo forte. And Mel responds, that was my mezzo forte. <laughs> the end of the conversation. You know, you know, we're not going to really deal with Mel. I mean, the stories go on and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, and, and people think that that... These stories are exaggerated, but they're not. In Electra, this the recognition scene, the trumpet plays bom, 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 up to a high concert D. You know, this, you know, 
it's as loud as you can play. You know, this it's a big trumpet moment. And he would hold this note, two full quarter notes, quarter note equals 60, beyond the cutoff. <laughs> he would get two extra cutoffs. And people think like, well, you're exaggerating. He held over just a little bit. No, 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 no. Full, you know, second, two seconds over. And then he would black out. He would play this note so loud with such force and such a crescendo, he would black out. The third trumpet would sit down next to him, rub his shoulder, and count down the next entrance until he woke up. <laughs> Keep him in the chair. So he woke up. Um, I'll tell you one more, Mel Brooks. Yeah, please. The, this is awesome. The, the prototype, this is the, the story to end all stories. Uh, Mel uh, did not miss a show for the first 40 years that he was there, or a rehearsal. Not one rehearsal or show. Didn't matter if he was dying. He would go in and he would tell everybody, no one must know that he's sick. You know, he could be. So they're playing, I get a call from the personnel manager Saturday, I'm off all day, great day. He said, Mark, you gotta come in, uh, Mel's sick. I said, oh, bullshit, I hung the phone up. The guy's putting me on. Said, no, really, really. <laughs> Mel had a stroke during Rosencavalier. Oh, really? Okay. This is a story. Toward the end of Rosencavalier, it's the presentation of, a ro of the rose, and there's a big trumpet moment where ba -da -da -dee -da -dee, you go up to this. It's a beauty at the end of the maybe Strauss's most beautiful music, the end of Rosencavalier, and it ends with this big trumpet note. So Mel starts to have a stroke about you know five minutes before. It's going, he's falling out of the chair. Now, the other trumpet players are Peter Bond, Jim Pandolfi, well over 200 pounds. They're big dudes. They can play high notes with the best of them. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Mel is falling out of his chair. The left side of his face is, is collapsing. Right, It's collapsing. But he gets to the lick, the big solo. He, like Gunga Din, he picks up the trumpet and plays it. And he plays it well. Then he collapses you know, and as he's leaving, he says, I'll be back on Tuesday. You know, he <laughs> says that as they're carrying him off to the hospital. Now, there's no one like this. This is the exact opposite of me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was never, ever a hero trumpet player. I mean, I was never played like that. You know, I was less lucky to be there, essentially, you know. It's sort of the story of my life. <laughs> You know, I didn't play that well. I mean, I didn't play as well as Mel. I mean, I could do a couple of things okay, but you know, I really didn't play like might, that. Might be underselling it a little bit. No, I mean, I'm, I'm really not. It's not false humility, you know. It's like, here I am. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm near death. I'm 67. Everybody's <laughs> dropping around me, you know. They're dropping dead. You got a nice voice, by the way. Thank I you. To mention that. Should I sing? Uh, I could sing. Well, you can you. interject it anywhere you want. Right, you know, right. yeah, whatever time. When well, you're, when you're in feeling. Pink Baby Monster, I do sing. So yes. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to get to that yeah, for yeah. sure. For okay. sure. What was your uh, relationship like with James Levine? Obviously, you guys. I know you, you, said, you mentioned you started right around the same time and were there pretty much the whole time. Or right. Was that? Um, James Levine um, is a great musical genius. He became music director of the Met at 28 years old. Mm. Um, no one has a better stick technique than James Levine, and no one can conduct two measures of music better than James Levine or rehearse it. Whoever lived, I would say that's probably true. Uh, 
uh, he knew the he's probably he's conducted I think three times as many opera performances as anyone who's ever lived. Wow. He was um, a superb accompanist, and I learned a tremendous amount about music just by watching him, watching him conduct, watching him rehearse. Um, now he's quite ill. Mm. You know, he's just in Verbier. He was supposed to, uh, Verbier, Switzerland, there's a festival there. He was supposed to show up. He canceled. He went to great expense to make ramps. He's in a wheelchair. Ramps, mm. special planes. You know. mm. Now it's like, it's it's something else. But um, he was quite extraordinary. And he actually built the Met Orchestra from sounding like the Ohio State Marching Band in part. <laughs> But not not all the time because, but there are parts of it. It was not as good as it is now. Now, I mean, all the orchestras, the the level of playing is so extraordinarily high. Mm -hmm. The level of actually just playing the instruments. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's they're all overqualified. Let's put it that way. Mm. They're all you know great athletes on the instruments. The number of great musicians probably is the same. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like right. very homogenized in tune together uh, doesn't really make it any better for me in right. many ways but it's level of playing is very very high but he um, got the orchestra to play with a certain style with a certain commitment to excellence mm -hmm. very demanding in that way without ever losing his temper he was quite something mm. James Levine so mm. I mean uh, for the most part I get along with him great you know mm -hmm. he, no, we did very well together. Hmm. Then, we, then at the end, we used to do orchestra concerts, go on tour for that, and that was uh, good for the orchestra. I was not that enamored of that because we'd do an opera season and then you know go play a Mahler symphony or something. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, to hear someone else play it. You know? Speaking of that, and I've often wondered this, and you, you're the perfect guy to ask: Is there a difference in the way you would approach playing principal trumpet in a symphony orchestra as opposed to an opera orchestra, or is it? Or is it not a big difference? There's a difference in the role that the trumpet plays. Um, the way the orchestrations are. A lot of times in the operas, your your job is to sort of nav... They're, uh, let's, put it on, let's say the navigational skills required to play opera are different. Mm. Much more... Um, many more subtleties, because you have to be with the stage, and there are tremendous difference, uh, distances. So the singers are way back on the stage. The conductor is conducting the stage, so he looks like he's conducting ahead. Where you put a note took me, I don't, I don't know, five years to learn where to play. Mm. Exactly where to play so you can move the time where you, you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. A lot of times things that look like they're supposed to be super loud, if you saw them in a symphony orchestra, are just sort of go the flow. Be in time, steer the time. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it's different in that way, mm. and it's um, much less demanding, except for some weeks when you have to play Wozzeck or you have to play Wagner, some of the Strauss, and then you know the rest of the time you can navigate. And the music is better in the opera. Mm. So um, for a young person, it's very difficult because it doesn't go very fast. It's like I call them the Valium All-Stars. You know, you have to sort of like, everything has to be turned down. There's no like getting up for a performance. Mm -hmm. If you play Wagner, it goes on six hours. You're going to get up for that? No, I mean, you die. 
Mm-hmm. You have to go like, sort of like go along. Sort of like very yeah. easy. Pacing is critical. Well, just mentally pacing. You know, yeah. Just go slower. So you should only be able to get the average job when you're 40, above over 40. That would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense, I know. No, it makes uh, complete sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah. it does, but it's, it's good luck if that happens. <laughs> well, speaking of principal trumpet players, and despite your humility, many people would put you in uh, the, the great uh, list of uh, great uh, principal trumpets. Who, would you mind uh, just picking out a few of your favorites uh, over the years, uh, opera or uh, symphony orchestra principal trumpet players? Well, there's old school and new school. Uh, Phil Smith is sort of the last of the old school. Hmm. But he's part of the new school too because you know Phil um, is was a phenomenal cornet soloist. Yeah, phenomenal cornet soloist, mm-hmm. and could play with you know the power of you know to you know ride over the or- that orchestra which is ex- extremely loud brass section right. in Avery Fisher Hall. Sure, God bless him. You know, <laughs> I mean that's a you know that's a lot of weight to carry. Yeah, um, favorite trumpet players. Uh, Herseth Mars Murphy, who was in London, uh, Hans Gonch. Mm-hmm. I like. Should I name some Americans? Sure. Um, uh, the young kids can't play anymore. You know, <laughs> Jim Thompson in in Montreal, was, I really like. But then you know all the young kids who play, Chris Martin in Chicago, in a way in San Francisco, Michael Sachs, Bilger, on and on. Mark Hughes in Houston. Mm-hmm. Great, great trumpet players. I mean, they play. Great, you know, great. Tom Rolfs in Boston, great. They play great. I mean, I enjoy going to hear concerts. I mean, if I go to, when I first got out of the Met, I went to see The Ring. That's the reason I left, because it was scheduled the next year. I only did 29 years instead of the full 30. I said, fuck this. Just because you didn't want to play The Ring. Yeah, I don't want to rehearse. Yeah. I don't want to rehearse. So I figured, well, what's it going to be like? Am I going to really want to get in there? No, no, I enjoyed it. You know, uh-huh. like someone else played. Ah, excellent. <laughs> Good choice. Well, you mentioned uh, Mark Inouye, and I was curious if you would, if you don't mind uh, addressing this. You know, I always found being a commercial guy and a jazz guy, I never really went through the uh, audition process. Although, strangely enough, Kent and I uh, actually auditioned for the Rolling Stones job when we were doing that. So that was a one of the, uh, kind of a bit and of an did you anomaly. have to pay off or did you actually oh, of course yeah it was all but and what was the trumpet and audition and like Kenny? <laughs> as high as you could play as high as you could yeah it's who, who sat, it was who could do the best Maynard Ferguson imitation yeah, they love Maynard um but anyway all kidding aside the New York Philharmonic has just gone through looking for a principal trumpet player it looked like Mark Inouye was going to get the job and now he didn't could you talk about how you see that I mean it's interesting to me like these jobs come up available so infrequently then they pick somebody and then it doesn't work out how, how do you view the, the whole process these days right uh, in that that particular case i was i mean mark Inouye won the audition uh mark Inouye, i'm not sure you know i mean i knew him very well at juilliard not sure if i guess he did study with me for a year or so he's mostly with ray mace but i mean he was at juilliard so um, since I have the orchestral repertoire class, I get to know all the trumpet players very mm. well, and I knew Mark very, very well. We used to play Abersol records together. Mm. Used to play jazz solo. Good, you know, you could play some jazz. Played a lot mm. of notes. Mm-hmm. He was young. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, he wins the New York job. He was the last man standing. 
first trumpet in the San Francisco Orchestra. Then they went on tour, and I understand that they didn't like his tone. There was something about his sound, which I found remarkable. Um, and it pissed me off. Mm. Not because I'm like, you know, a, he's not a close personal friend of mine, but um, he said he didn't blend into the trumpet section or something like this. And I said, well, to me, the question I would ask is, well, why should he blend into the trumpet section? He's bringing something new to the table. I mean, um, the most interesting bands, let's take a big band like Duke Ellington's band, in the trumpet section there's like four or five distinct sounds and voices. They all phrase together. Mm -hmm. And it made sort of like um, the, the blend of the sound was more interesting. Right. Mark, in a way, brings a tremendous amount to the table. He's a real personality. He's a real, he's a great, great trumpet player, extremely accurate, and a tough son of a bitch. <laughs> Mentally, very, very tough. Mm. Which to go into that, to the New York Philharmonic, right? I couldn't think of anyone else who actually could do that. Mm. You know, like who's young enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. could actually go in there mm -hmm. and be the man but they didn't like his tone or something. And I was like sort of amazed. It sort of was um, very disappointing to me, not because it was, I knew Mark, but because I thought that would be a good thing to sort of mix things up a little bit. I don't want another Phil Smith. Phil Smith was Phil Smith. Mm -hmm. New era. Yeah. Didn't have to sound like Phil Smith or play like this. But I don't know the whole story, but I found it very um, interesting and unusual. They gave him a trial, and they didn't like him at the trial. It's, um, what I was saying before, the, the idea of like homogenous-sounding orchestras is actually going to be the death of the orchestras. I don't mm. want to hear a homogenous orchestra. Mm -hmm. I would rather hear someone have a psychotic event during a concert, <laughs> play a, a very loud note, mm -hmm. play with a little bit different sound, maybe a little brighter, maybe a little darker. Fine. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not going to ruin the music for me. Yeah. When I listened to old Metropolitan Opera broadcasts on Sirius Radio from the 50s, from the 40s, the orchestra uh, was not as good, but they had some personalities in the orchestra. Yeah, it sounded good enough to me. Yeah. You know, I loved it. I loved the way it sounds and the style. They play with a great style. Fine. Why not go back to that? Mm -hmm. In other words... There are so many players, so if you have an audition, you'll have like 200 people show up. It's impossible. How can you tell? You're going to miss somebody. Right. Of course, I'd like to go back to the era where you uh, have an orchestra of your friends. It usually works out better that way anyway. <laughs> you know, or your buddies, you know, like they used to. You know. Right. Mark, you mentioned the death of the orchestra, which leads me right into my next question. Where do you, you know, you spent 29 years in the Met. Where do you see the American Symphony Orchestra in 29 years from now, and maybe specifically, why should any community, obviously New York, Chicago, Boston, those are big cities, but these smaller cities, why should the community care about the orchestra and be behind the orchestra? It's a very difficult question, and there's many levels to it. It used to be that classical music was supported by the community because they thought it was important as a cultural artifact. That this was, if you play Beethoven, the community would get together and share in the experience of hearing a Beethoven symphony. Now for two reasons, uh, this is no longer the case. Number one, you could stay home and listen to it 
at home. And the second reason is, is um, the page has been turned. I mean, as you know, I mean, you're very much in the field of music. Um, people don't hear Beethoven the same way or value it the same way. Mm -hmm. So you take a young billionaire who's 40 years old, he has no clue about what Beethoven is or that it is important or why it's important. Mm -hmm. And I, there's really no argument to be made on the other side. Unless, you know, people in the community feel that this is valuable that we preserve these dead white European composers, <laughs> you know, in a symphony orchestra or opera format. I don't see it surviving in the same way that it it does like a full-time job and benefits pension all that stuff i think that will go away i don't see any anything to stop it at this point i don't see anything pointing in that direction is this good or bad the music will survive just fine beethoven or mozart is mozart um some people say well i prefer bruce springsteen well okay if you think that Mozart and Bruce Springsteen are equivalent, I mean, what, there's no discussion. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about that with you. Um, if you have a Mozart moment where you actually say, wow, this is um, as great a music as, as anyone on earth has ever made, then we can have the discussion. If you don't see that, I don't really see how, as a community... An orchestra will be supported over a long period of time. Symphony orchestras have only been a full-time job for a very short period of time, maybe 40, 50 years, 30, mm -hmm. 40 years. Mm -hmm. It will cease being that, I think. Uh, when I grew up at you know, the Philharmonic, they used to do the Goldman Band in the summers in Met. They used to play band concerts in the park mm -hmm. for money. It was, you know, you did that and... Actually, people in the Met, they weren't the most successful musicians, the guys who were playing record dates. You know, these were the, these were the guys, mm -hmm. these were the best guys. Mm -hmm. And you, do you see that uh, across the board in terms of the big orchestras, or do you think it's more, more on the regional level in terms of them no, you know, dying I think, out? No, I think across the board. I mean, it will. this is not going to happen immediately. Right. And the orchestras, you know, sound great, play great. Um, if you've been to a concert, everybody has hair this color. <laughs> you know, I'm a young man going to the concerts, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't see a younger audience, you know, springing up. But this may change. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wish people lined up around the corner, around the block to hear uh, a Brahms symphony. Great. Yeah, yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah. I don't see it happening. Yeah. Well, it's a good insight on your part for sure. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit, talk about your career, the aspect of your career in terms of being a soloist, a chamber musician, and now a conductor, which is uh, terrific. So maybe just talk about uh, your approach to those, those elements. Do you have any, any you going to hire me? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm conductor starting the hip hop music dates. orchestra. Yeah, I'm gonna, pick music. Up, I'm gonna pick up the slack for Very the uh, reading. <laughs> Um, no, I've, I've done, you know, conducting for like quite some time now. I mean, I used to do some pops concerts and I conduct here and there. I've conducted school, I conducted Juilliard, I conducted Manhattan School of Music. I conducted the Brass Band in Battle Creek. I conducted in Seattle Symphony concerts here and there. 
I'm never particularly ambitious as a conductor. Hmm. I didn't, it was a time when I could have really thrown my hat into the ring, but I didn't do it. Mm. The Met was too good a job, you know, mm -hmm. it was like too easy. Just mm -hmm. show up to one place and go to work. Mm. Yeah. So I did that. Uh, chamber music, yes, I enjoy doing that and playing some solos, yeah, I, I enjoy that. I'm not dying to, you know, for the next record. Mm -hmm. Although I've been practicing this week and I'm getting inspired, maybe you know, I sound pretty good, you know, for the last two days, <laughs> you know. But it'll, it'll, I'll, I'll come to my senses, you know, eventually. But you know, I played a lot of chamber music, um, some solo stuff, you know, record here and there. It's like now I hear, you know, like the, the soloist now, the trumpet soloist now that there's YouTube. I mean, you hear people making sushi come out of the bell of an instrument, you know? <laughs> there was this guy, he's like in a skirt, playing the Brandenburg Concerto with no valves, with his hand on his hip. <laughs> like this. I mean, what the fuck? What am I supposed to be? You, you, you see that guy? I haven't seen that yet. You no. should see that one. When I get done with your videos, With no valves, you know, just holding it with a skirt on and doing this thing. And then they're all the, the trumpet solo was like, you know, um, a new era came, like after Maurice Andre in the 70s, then there's like the classical trumpet soloists who are absolutely astounding. You know, Hogan right. Hardenberger, Gabriel Cassone, Tristan Williams, Marco Blau, on and on and on and on. It's like um, time thing, then the women, Alison mm -hmm. Balsam, and there's, you know, a number of other ones. I'm, I'm leaving people out, but great, it's athletic event. Right. You know, to, to do these things. Now, the number of uh, musicians I like to listen to play is about the same. Mm -hmm. I don't really like listening to solo trumpet records or trombone records. I have no interest. Doesn't. Especially the trombone. I'd rather listen to Senegalese drummers. You know what I mean? It's like a more interesting, just to listen to a new groove, you know, like astounding, astounding playing. And it's like Elliot Carter, but swinging you mm -hmm. know, burning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's very complex yeah very loose but burning the whole time yeah well, i think it's it comes through in your playing too i mean you're about the music you know and uh, all kidding aside i mean you you're coming at it from that perspective mm -hmm. and i think your message is a good one there's a lot of technical expertise going on now but not so much musical expertise if you want to if you want to define it in that way you know but I, that's understandable because that's the the meme that's mm -hmm. what Right. That's how people, that's what people do. And that's how they play. In order to get a job in an orchestra, um, you have to achieve a technical standard that's quite amazing. It's like you have to be good enough to win the U.S. Open golf tournament. Mm -hmm. It's like that good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I have students now at Juilliard of Manhattan who are that, you know, who can do that. They get a shot mm -hmm. to win the tournament. Mm -hmm. You know, they're that good and they work at it. And it's great. You know, I'm all for it. Well, speaking of your teaching, you know, what I said in the intro, I mean, your, your roster of students is spectacular. I mean, you're probably one of the top teachers anywhere in the world. Um, are you still on faculty at Juilliard and, yes. and Manhattan? Both? Yes, so far. Um, <laughs> After this, probably not. You know. Maybe you could... Um, I get in a lot of trouble, you know, saying shit you know, it, about women. That's, you know, yes, I mean, seeing your videos, it's hard right. to imagine yes. that happening. But, um, yes, but, I yeah. understand. <laughs> but, uh, 
At any rate, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about your approach to teaching, maybe how it's changed over the years, and also maybe how your students have changed over the years. And, and if there are a couple of, we already mentioned uh, David Bilger and mm -hmm. CJ Camarari, students that might jump out at you as, uh, as being exceptional. Yeah, I've had a lot of great students, so the great students make a great teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm the first to admit that. Um, you know, when I, Bilger came to school as a graduate student, and I remember his first lesson, he played a couple of concertos, you know, knocked them down. And I asked him how much he charged for lessons, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, there was, you know, he was like on his way. Um, I think now I'm a far better teacher than I used to be 30 years ago. I mean, I know more, I have more experience, and I do less harm. Hmm. Um, for me, teaching is very interesting because of the one-on-one -on -one connection and... Uh, each student I treat very, very differently. Each student learns differently. Some students learn by telling them things. Other students learn by doing themselves. Other students, if you are critical of them, it could be very bad for them, some students. And mm -hmm. some students welcome the criticism. I give the example of Chris Coletti, who plays in the Canadian Brass now. Very, very gifted guy. And I taught him, I think, a, a, a couple of years at, at Juilliard. And I, I noticed, like, you know, he would come in with something and he would play it and I would make some suggestions about this or that, a phrasing, blah, blah, blah. And then he would play it again and get worse. I would make another suggestion and get worse. I think like, hmm, I won't say anything at all and just say, keep bringing more repertoire and just do it. And I won't say anything. That was the key for him. Mm. He needed to discover himself. He needed to be reassured that he didn't need to change his tone because some people wanted to change his tone to make it orchestral. You know that shit. <laughs> I fucking hate that shit. You know what I mean? The big. I oh, he has a big sound. Oh, yeah. well, it gives a shit. Yeah. A big sound. It's yeah. It's an interesting sound, but big. So he was well on his way, and now he's, you know, very creative, singing, writing, you know. So that's, you know, gratifying. Same thing with C.J. Camerer. I mean, mm -hmm. he's, um, he came as a high school kid. He took a lesson. I told him his, I didn't like his sound, you know. And that, that's why he wanted to study with me, because he was cocky. You know how C.J. is. You know? <laughs> you know, there's no one more cocky than C.J., you know, for good reason. But that's good. This is not something to knock down. It's like, good. No, yeah. You have confidence. It's like, yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to like shrivel in the corner and cry. I mean, you're going nowhere with that. Yeah. But that's what I did. I attacked his tone when he was a high school kid. He said, okay, I need to be with Gould because we're going to get there. So we, we would talk a lot about music. And then I heard CJ stand up in front of the Juilliard, a group at Juilliard, and play a solo. And I went like, oh, I get it. This guy is the real deal. I mean, this right. guy can really front a band. He can... Great ears... You know, like very, very fast, very, very smart, and he knows what he didn't want to do, which was play in an orchestra. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to, you know, do whatever, and he certainly did that. Mm -hmm. You know, he just uh, finished his tour with Paul Simon and right. Sting, and he's. I happened to work with him last week, and to me, he's. I tell my son Zach all the time, he's the he's the blueprint for being a musician in the new millennium, right. and and he credits you as as putting well, guiding him nice. in that direction. And yeah. uh, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. He's got all the tools that are required, yeah. and uh, 
Now I find, I find, you know, um, there's a CJ. Now I see students who very, very talented who are not going the symphony orchestra route. Um, I function more as a mentor, listen to the tracks that they make. Mm -hmm. I insist that they write arrangements. I insist that they write music or do something, make something. Let's work on that. So you see yourself more as an artist rather than a technician. Mm -hmm. So you have an appreciation from both sides of it. Once you start conducting or writing or arranging, your understanding of music is much greater and much fuller. You, you, you get it. Let's say if I want someone, uh, I insist that they all improvise. I said, okay, play a march for me in F. Okay, so they play a march. You know, they say, well, I can't improvise. Well, no, 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 play a march. Play six, eight, play a march. Okay, so you played all the notes in F. You hear any other notes? How about a C sharp? Where would that lead you? You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. so all of a sudden, like a new world opens up. Oh, I'm going to D minor. Oh, yeah, I can come back to. You start to have a functional understanding of what music does and what it is. So you start to hear more things. You start to um, hear, if you're playing a part, where your part fits and where it goes in music. You become way, way better mm. and, and hear things. But I hear now, especially now, I am mentoring more students to do projects. I insist that they do it, many wow. of them. Man, that is such great advice. And that uh, is a microcosm of why you're such a great teacher, because that's, that's exactly what's required now. And yeah. I think... A lot of music schools uh, miss the point, you know. Like they that's, miss it completely. You know, it, it's they're still doing the same thing that they did in 1955, mm -hmm. which is not really going to cut it. Mm -hmm. um, you, as you know, you can have someone go through four years of music school and really have no knowledge of harmony, functional harmony. Like really, okay, <laughs> we'll write an arrangement, harmonize this line. Like you get ten minutes, just make a part. Um, in one of my classes, I did Christmas carols. I said, "Okay, pick a part, and we're gonna play this. We we'll play Jingle Bells. Play a part, make a part. Mm -hmm. See if you can hear it and do it, and you start to really open your ears up functionally." Mm -hmm. you know? It's interesting because you know jazz musicians for decades have thought in that kind of context but right. I think it's so important for uh, you know classical players to have that mindset because now it's you know I mean you came from that so you already had it probably at an early age but it's uh, it's imperative it's uh, and then let's talk about the jazz musicians so now there's jazz school which is um, I mean I hear some of the young jazz musicians this very uh, solemn grim bunch of licks mm-hmm no one wants to hear this, <laughs> you know, Very and, and true. It, no one wants to hear it. And my wife, who's a, a violinist, um, she can't find where one is in, in some of the stuff. Now that she's not used to listening to it. This is a trained violinist in the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. Can't, it's like, um, becomes undiscernible. Mm -hmm. it, it becomes um, something very abstract and very, um, I don't know, the audience is really not involved in it at all. It's not fresh. It lacks energy. It lacks joy, the joyous uh, 
um, expression that jazz used to have when you know mm -hmm. all these young guys playing like the beginning of the beboppers it was like this right of course they were all heroin addicts but you know it was maybe that's joke. the answer i don't know there, <laughs> there it is. but that's that's also something that i see right you know and i'd like to see the uh, jazz musicians like they get smacked on the wrist when they start playing licks mm -hmm. they've you know in every key mm -hmm. please stop that yeah here you're going to play with a violist and you know, an Asian flute player who speaks no English. Okay, now you're going to make a piece. <laughs> Good luck. What do you think about, this is something that's kind of bothered me since it's really great that they, the jazz programs have developed the way they are. Now there's jazz degrees under, when I went to school, there was only a master's degree. At, uh, right. Now pretty much every school has an undergraduate jazz degree. What I find interesting is when I look back at my experience in college, the only thing I got out of the school other than being around other, you know, really outstanding players was the very the variety of ensemble experience. So I'd be playing in the orchestra, I'd play a little bit in an opera orchestra, I'd play in a brass quintet, I'd play in the jazz ensemble. And that's what gave me the tools that you just talked about it on, on, on a certain kind of level, certainly on an ensemble level. Now, uh, when I see a place like Juilliard, the, the jazz majors don't really cross-pollinate with the orchestral people right. at all. So now you've, you're taking that, which is, you know, a if you want to get into it, the jazz musicians tend to, you know, we tend to not pay as much attention to ensemble playing as we probably should. But but now all of a sudden that's taken out of your education uh, from, a, from a music degree, which I think is really unfortunate. It's great that that degree exists, but do you have any yeah. thoughts about where that's going? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts about that. It's like these musical ghettos within the schools, and they don't cross-pollinate at all. Yeah. At all. Ever. I've done a few concerts at Juilliard in Manhattan where I've mixed them together a little bit. And that's good, but I'd like to be able to do more. But that's not going to happen. There's too many entrenched interests. There's the jazz program at Manhattan School of Music, which is very good. But it just never, ever does that mix with anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, the, you know, there's some people there who would disagree with that. But they're not right. You know, they have something called the Jazz Philharmonic, and mm -hmm. um, they have some of the jazz composers write for orchestra, which they don't know how to do because they have no idea what a you know what a violin can do. They got not a not an idea. Right. They're right. not very good at that. Mm -hmm. And they think that's oh yeah the jazz and the classical are mixing together. But they're not. They're playing footballs in the violin section and. Get a few people playing parts, classical musicians. The classical musicians need to learn how to improvise, and the jazz musicians need to be fully involved in ensemble playing of every kind, mm -hmm. you know, just so they get it. Mm -hmm. So you, you start to do it. And, and, you know, my experience is it doesn't matter what kind of music you play, if you have a good ear, you'll catch on. Mm -hmm. You'll be, be fine. You'll be okay. So, I mean, yeah, what you say is absolutely true. But the problem with, with schools is they are, it's a huge industry now. Right. And since there's no place to play outside of school, people are still, are flocking to schools. Well, I'll take a master's and then a post-master's something, whether it's a doctoral program, artist diploma, and they stay in school because there's nothing else to do. And they don't need to be in school. Mm-hmm. So if we can figure out a way to make ensembles where they can play and perform, that would be something. But it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
It's just a symptom of the times, and they raise the prices. Mm -hmm. So Manhattan School of Music now costs $42,000 a year. That's without room and board. Yeah. What? Are you joking? <laughs> Sorry, I teach there. This will get me fired. I like that you speak from the heart, Mark. I do. Yeah, I, no, I mean, I'm, I'm getting fired anyway. I mean, they're trying. They've been trying for years, you know. I caused trouble. I caused trouble. I mean, I've been almost fired from everywhere. Or I have been fired from many places. Mm. And when I'm fired, I burn the bridge. It's like nuked. No. There's no, it's nuked. No bridge too small. Well, I mean, for example, uh, Pink Baby Monster. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yes. We gave a... A presentation at the International Trumpet Guild last year, and we at that that um, that particular performance we presented ourselves with a Lifetime Achievement Award, <laughs> and then we we gave out the an award for the trumpet player who best represented the white race, and then I named all the people on the ITG board. They were livid. No one would talk to me after the show. And half the audience liked it. The kids liked it. The suits, they didn't like it. So let's, I would say it's safe to say I will not be invited back to do anything <laughs> at the International <laughs> Trumpet Guild. That's done. Well, they, some people are so hypersensitive. That's like, you know, it's just, what are you going to do? You know, it's ridiculous. All right, that's led me right into what I want to talk about here today. Uh, it's, I've enjoyed every aspect of this, but really want to talk about Pink Baby Monster. I just became aware of your videos about a month ago. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable stuff. For those of you who uh, haven't seen it, go immediately to YouTube, Pink Baby Monster. Phenomenal stuff. You're obviously making all kinds of statements about politics, about schools, about sex, about religion, about... You pretty much cover... Uh, pretty much pretty, everything. Pretty, pretty, every, pretty much everything. Um, tell me about how this started. What's your process in terms of doing these videos? And I have to say the, uh, uh, the I Got Mine video yes. is... if you, you Start with that. Uh, the official theme song of the RNC, I believe. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that comes from a show that we did. It's a whole live show that I wrote called Desert Jews from Jesus to Oppenheimer. <laughs> it's about, you know, moving Israel to Vegas. It's a, wow. And it's, it's a, um, the villain is called White Piss Cloud, and he's an Indian. It's a complicated story, but that comes from there. Ah. I have a homosexual liaison with Ronald Reagan in this show. In any case, that comes from that particular ah, show. Right, right. But Pink Baby Monster started in 2001. And it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine that's an artist, lives in Nyack, very close friend from college, who makes me look like um, that I'm very conservative, <laughs> further than I am. So we decided we wanted to do... You know, these two old Jews wanted to do a hip-hop tune. 
you know, and not be pejorative toward the form, because we wanted to sum up the American culture. And we said, what could it be? Well, it'd be a pink baby monster. That would be good. And we'll write a, I'll, I'll write a hip-hop tune, and I'll make it track. Pink Baby Monster is sort of voracious, naive, transsexual, polysexual being, a baby spooging all over the world. America. Nice. Yeah. Two days later, this is on 9-9. Two days later, it's 9-11. And then we're off and running, and I'm thinking, yeah. like, how, it's unbelievable. And, of course, after 9-11... Um, Everything changed. Of course. You yeah. know, it was a seminal event. And changed for the worse. It was like the greatest gift that you could give to people who like to go to war. This was the greatest thing that ever happened. They had a theme song. You know, I predicted that. You know, 9-11, you know, the end of irony. You know, bullshit, bullshit, you know, all that. So we just, then at that point I said, okay, I'm really pissed off. Let's make a band. Not a band. I wanted to make a record. So I'll, I'll get you a record. We made a CD. took two years. Um, I think it's terrific. Um, but then CDs, you know, they're used for here. You can, you can, you can put out lines of coke on this. Okay. Um, so it started then. And then the following year, you know, I got was going to do something at Juilliard. It was 2003. You know, and, and we made a video called I Live for Art. And this is before we invaded Iraq. And it's a, I Live for Art. It was a, a meditation on Carl Heinz Stockhouse and remarked that the knocking down the World Trade was the Trade Center was the greatest work of art in the history of mankind. And, of course, uh, he people were not happy with that. But, in fact, it's true on a certain level. Mm -hmm. It's operatic. I've never seen a plane go in a building, ever, you know, until then. So we did a video of that, and it got pulled from the, the concert at Juilliard, and it made the New York Daily News. It was a full-page thing. Juilliard, mm. you could see, was not too happy. Mm. With all mm -hmm. that. Seems to be a thread that's running through some of your yes. projects. <laughs> right, it, it did burn. But after that, it was like Pink Baby Monster was sort of an angry hip-hop, various kind of record but after that I said ah, I don't want to do that I don't really like feeling that way so we're going to do something get the message across and be funny so we started to do music videos things about music that made me unhappy and, or something you know we did something called Petrushka I don't know if you saw that I did see that Petrushka with Thomas Gotch or Manolo Brass and you know we made a lot of videos we did a few shows live shows um, at the beginning, our live shows were maybe the worst thing I've ever been on the stage with. Uh, I've been, we would complete a show and no one would clap. They would just sit there in disbelief, <laughs> like how fucking awful this actually is. But, you know, from the failures, you know, we got better. We got better at doing shows. So. Desert Jews was actually quite good. Mm -hmm. We did one called, um, two years ago, called, called Elixirs, sort of semi-autobiographical about a guy who's raped by one of the opera singers and falls in love with her because he was raped and comes up with a drug you know descends into drug addiction and becomes principal trombone first trumpet second and then discovers a drug that saves classical music 
it's totally bizarre. It's based on LSU Demora, but mm. don't know any. It could happen. It could happen. Yeah. It could happen. It could. It could yeah. happen. Yeah. We should maybe try to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> we should be making, we should be cooking, you know, breaking bad. Do you have, uh, so I noticed that there's, you have a couple of regulars that are in your, uh, in the, in the, would you call it a, an ensemble or what would you, it's a, like, no, it's, it's basically a, me and Brian McWhorter who teaches uh, trumpet at the University of Oregon. Mm. A very fine composer, very good conductor, very able with all kinds of, I saw the interview with the, the obesity. Uh, oh, obesity uh, and power. Yeah. Yes, it's quite it is. A, <laughs> some interesting thoughts yes, on that. Yes, hooking yeah. up fat people as, yeah. as a power source. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff that I had never even yeah. thought of right. as a possibility, but um, you opened my eyes to that. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad about that. Quite impressive. Well, what do you have on tap and uh, coming up with the Pink Baby Monster? Well, next week I'm going to Banff, and we're doing uh, Pink Baby show that Brian has written. It's called Genesis. It's about the uh, genesis of music. Mm. Music was made by God. Mm. So, Woof. Sounds heavy. Well, it's not too heavy. You know, it's, it's about a 15-minute piece, maybe. Mm. About that. And I'm um, actually memorizing my part now. Mm. It's like, I'm God, of course. Mm. Who else would play And Brian conducts and plays a bit, and it's like for a eight-piece band and we're doing the parts mm. so that should be fun maybe uh since you're a uh, persona non grata with the uh with the uh itg perhaps would you consider it a performance of the international trombone festival they wouldn't get it yeah true they true. would just sit there they, they would be puzzled yeah they would say where's joe alessi where's, <laughs> where's joe where's joe where's joe where's joe where is he Well, it, 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 it's funny with, with Alessi. Uh, you know, he went, he came to me once. This is years ago, and he said, you know, he'd be interested. You know how Joe does very interested in playing the bass trumpet in the ring. You know, at the Met. I said, man, I don't want to get you down. What if it'd be a fucking drag? I mean, you'd be better than everybody down there. You know, fuck that. You, you play play the trombone, man. You play the trombone. Good. Fuck out of here, <laughs> Joe Alessi. You know, he's a friend of mine. I made it along. Yeah, and, and a neighbor here. He's, just, He's a neighbor. Just down the street from us. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, Mark, I've had a ball. This has been so much fun and uh, and really uh, appreciate your time. If if we could wrap it up, um, you've kind of touched on this already, but maybe even in greater depth. If you were going to give one piece of advice to a young, talented trumpet player out there uh, who's thinking of becoming Mark Gould, um, which is going to... Oh, never mind. Um, anyway, <laughs> but who's thinking of going into uh, in this profession? What uh, what piece of advice would you have for him? Call C.J. Camareri. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, model your career after like C.J. Caleb Hudson, Chris Coletti, and the Canadian Brass. Mm -hmm. You have to be very versatile and be able to do everything mm -hmm. and play more than one instrument. Very good mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. Great advice. I think. Uh, my first trombone teacher, I told him I wanted to think about becoming a trombone player, and his response to me was, they need gardeners in San Jose. So, still great advice, no matter how you slice it. <laughs> they don't need gardeners anymore, though. No, that's true. they got to wait until the water comes, and then uh, there you go. see what happens. But, Mark, thank you so much. Pleasure. What a pleasure. And uh, continued success with Pink thank Baby you. Monster. Everybody check out Pink Baby Monster, thank and you. we will see all of you next time on Bone to Pick. <laughs>